The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. God is good. Well, I got a little sleep, this, a little nap this afternoon. Uh, I, I, because I'm always in, in, in planes, planes, trains, and automobiles, um, I've, I've learned to sleep sitting up. And, uh, and I, 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 um, I must admit, I was getting a, a, a crick in my neck uh, as I sat there, the, the furniture in the hotel is not that comfortable and um, I'm, I'm sitting there and uh, anyway <laughs> I've still got a nap but I, I, can, I can sleep for maybe a couple of hours sitting upright in, in, a, in, a, in a chair which is a horrible thought really when you think about it uh, but anyway I want to ask a question today and, and I really want to stay focused on where I was this morning I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked myself of recent times and I want you to ask this honestly today. Now, at the end of this, I'm going to be laying hands on people and praying. I'm believing God that there's going to be impartation. Now, before I get the, to the question, I, I want to say that in today's culture of the modern church, the laying on of hands is becoming a dying art. And... Stephen, uh, Steve Hill of the Pensacola Revival made this statement. He said, before he passed, he said, he said, if men don't start laying hands on people, they will forget how in 10 years' time. And that is very true. We have what we call the emerging church that is basically throwing everything that's gospel, authentically gospel, out of the church culture and they're trying to sell us a bullet bill of goods that 50 minutes in the church service with just the preaching of the word, a few minutes of worship, out the door, we've got your tithes, see you around, nice knowing you, is going to suffice. Well, it doesn't suffice. And when, when God, it's amazing because everything that man throws out of the church that we would call authentically gospel when, a, when an awakening comes or a move of God comes, God brings it all back. Somebody say amen. amen. You've got to respond to me. If you do not respond, I will come down and sit on somebody's knee and preach the rest of my message. Hallelujah. See, even the microphone doesn't want to hear me tonight. Glory to Jesus. And so we're going to focus later on uh, I'm going to lay hands on people, and I'm going to believe God for an impartation. There are significant fathers that, that have played a huge part in my life. Um, there are men of God with impartation that have laid hands on me over a period of years that I've been subjected to their ministry that have made a profound touch on my life. And so what we do when I lay hands on you tonight, it's just not the anointing or the grace that I carry, but it's the DNA of spiritual fathers that deeply impacted my life, fathers in the faith, not my personal fathers, but, but by 
fathers in the faith that are carriers and they carry something in the anointing. And so when we come up to that time, don't neglect those things. Those things are vital in church because God uses it. God, Jesus did it on earth, Mark chapter 10. The Bible says he laid hands on the children and he fervently invoked the blessing of God into children. But he laid hands on everywhere he went. The apostles laid hands on everywhere he went. And we might take that for granted, but we're, we're doing this in a culture that has thrown all this out. Hallelujah. Are you alive? Everybody check their pulse, please, because tomorrow night I'm bring some paramedics just to check you out. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want us to turn, please, to John chapter 20. No, first of all, let's turn to Hebrews. And then, but I'm going to ask you a question today. I want to really challenge you here. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 12. Here's the question I want to ask you. Just look at me for a minute. How relevant are you? No, no, to yourself. How relevant are you in terms of, of, of the kingdom of God? That might be a better uh, connection there. How relevant do you think you are to the kingdom of God? And what are you doing to expand the kingdom of God? The next question is, is because Preston set this off, of course, asking all these questions before the meeting. Right? And I figured, well, I might as well get in on the anointing. But if, if, if we've got to ask ourselves this question, how relevant we are, because I ask myself that because it's like putting a thermometer in and saying, how relevant are you to the, to the kingdom of God? How relevant are you in your messages? How relevant are you in pr your presentation of the gospel? And then we ask the next question, how relevant is Champions Church? So you've got to get really honest with this. How relevant is, the Ch is Champions Church to the community in which it's based? I can't answer that question. Only you can answer that question. What are you doing in the community that is making an impact in the community? These are sobering questions because I've had to ask myself and I put this thermometer in me over a period of a year many times because the one thing I want to remain is at least relevant in the ministry that God's given me. And the problem with old age is the older you get, you can become very irrelevant in your thinking, right, and not push yourself into a place where you are challenged. We must be challenged, and we must be challenged with purpose. I've always wanted to serve God. I always wanted to get out and preach, always. I, I looked for that. I lived for that. I studied for that. I prayed for that. I, I was brought up in a Holy Ghost school. Uh, Holy Ghost Church where we were taught how to move in the Holy Spirit. I love doing what I do. I'm grateful. Every day of my life, I am grateful for what I do. I would sooner do this than be a plumber. I would sooner do this than be a carpenter. 
and I have deeded both in my house. But, but, I, but I'm not that person. I've tried to get into business. I have tried to get into stuff, and it just fails on me miserably. I'm not a business, businessman's foot. I've tried, I've tried investments and lost everything. So, so, it's, so, it's, so it's kind of like God's got me very narrow in what He expects me to do for the kingdom of God. But the problem of growing older, that you can lose relevancy. And I want to stir those that are over 65 in this illustrious congregation to begin to think of yourself as not over and out. You say to me, well, you don't understand the arthritis in my right hip. Glory to God. You don't understand my arthritic leg. Well, get that arthritic leg, shake it about. Glory to God. And step out, find your purpose in the Lord. There must be something that you can do in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody breathe. Thank you. I want us to turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to talk about something tonight <coughs> that... Um, if, if you're looking for a title for the CD, it's called, You're Meant to Run. Everybody say, You're Meant to Run. All right, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. That's why it's coming out a little loud. But I just like it because I kept going into the Greek and the Hebrew and then I found it was already in the Amplified Bible. So I figured, hey, save some time. Mm. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth. Listen, let us strip off, throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, <clears throat> and that sin which so readily clings to and entangles us and let us run. Everybody say, let us run. Let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence. Everybody over 65 say, active persistence. God, we've got three over 65. Hallelujah. <laughs> the appointed course of the race which is set before us. Everybody has an appointed course. Everybody has a race to run. I have a race to run. I haven't finished racing, racing my run. I haven't finished running my race. Glory to God. It's been a long day. Hallelujah. I have a race. I have a course. But to complete my course, to run my race, I have to be relevant. And it means that I have to... I have to put a thermometer into that relevance every now and then to test myself to see if I'm still doing what I should be doing, that I haven't lost focus in the, in the life of what, I've, uh, what I'm connected to, like the kingdom of God. If I want to reach the kingdom of God, then I have to be relevant. I remember when I got to 60 years old, I got, I got to 60, and I thought, my God, I'm five years off 65. The historical, hysterical retirement age. Pension. A greeter at Sam's Club and Walmart. <laughs> walking sticks and walking things, you know, those things. I thought, this is my life. 
And then I got to 65. And nothing, none of that happened. And I thought, thank God, I'm still walking. Yes, I'm still walking. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then I thought, my God, I'm 65, and I haven't got a walker. I haven't got a stick. I mean, no one gets sticks, honestly. Listen, 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 that's fine. But, but God never gave me that. I mean, you could putt with that, couldn't you? Just putt. Is that yours? We may get you delivered of that. Hallelujah. And th then I thought to myself, the big seven zero. Glory to God. And I thought, I, I would, in private now, I wouldn't tell anybody, but I thought, 65 now, the big seven zero, and at 69, I thought I'm so visibly close to this now. This is a scary proposition. And I kept asking, am I relevant? Am I relevant? Am I relevant? Because nothing's worse than a silly old man who's a preacher talking about the good old days. Well, I remember back there in 1930, glory to God, and the power of God came down and three people got saved and got baptized in the Spirit. We, ate, we went back home and had some fried squirrel. I don't know where this comes from. Glory to God. We don't even eat squirrel in Australia. We don't even have squirrels in Australia. So, it's relevance. How effective am I? Can I still run at 70? And then I became 71, baby. Whoa! Now, what saved me with 71 is that when you say 70, and not have a one after it, it seems like a big number. But when you say 71, it's like one sounds better, doesn't it? Because one's not up there near 10, right? Because if you add 10, I'm 80. And that's another drama I've got to face. Because I'm nine years off that, which is a bit scary. Preston will have to order a wheelchair to invite me in here. Come on, Nigel. Come on, Nigel. Hallelujah. As long as I can get my leg up in the air and swing, baby. Glory to God. So relevance. So Paul says, lay aside every encumbrance, anything that prevents you from running. If it's sin that prevents you from running, deal with the sin. If it's pornography, deal with the pornography. Get help. The problem with pornography, it's got a grip on the church that's vice-like. And I was talking to a fellow that's just about to, I was going to say this, starting pornography classes in this church, but that's not quite right really. Because he's not doing that really. He's not starting pornography. He's starting a course that you can conquer pornography. I think that's best. Thank you. Anti, 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 anti-pornography classes. And the problem is that he did a survey in the church and pornography is prevalent in the house of God. You're never going to extend the kingdom and remain relevant if you have some sort of thing that's holding you back from running your race. Because God expects you to run. Not dawdle, not shuffle, 
you out to run. Hallelujah. When I'm at home, every, every morning I get up and I run six Ks. Six miles, rather. Why do I do it? Because this body carries the message. I can't afford for this body to be sick. I can't afford this body not to be, to be pliable and flexible. And my mode of exercise is that what I'll do, a jogger, we've got a very fit community where we live, and joggers will be out all over the place. So if a jogger passes me and I power walk, I power walk so hard my wife's got to run to keep up with me because she's tiny, she's a dwarf. Hallelujah. So she's got to run to keep up with me, right? And so I'll be walking and a jogger will pass me. So my goal in life right at that moment is to chase that jogger down and pass that jogger. The problem is those that jog are much younger than me. So I have to work doubly hard to pass the jogger. And when I get past them, I stop, go back to a power walk until another jogger passes me. And then I chase that jogger. One time a jogger passed me, a pretty girl, and she's about 21. And she passed me and I thought, I'll chase her. Now that doesn't sound very good, does it? But let's chase her. So I ran after her. And she's looking over her shoulder like this. Like this and, I, and I'm like this. I'm, I'm really determined to get past her. And I'm running after this jogger. And, and she's running. And she's running faster, which I, I didn't want her to do that. Because it meant I'd have to work harder. She's 21. And at that time, I was about 67. So now I'm really putting on the acid. And we come up to a fork in the road. And I, I was wondering, which fork are you going to take? But I've got to pass you before the fork goes. And, and the fork came up like this, and there was a building right in the middle of this fork. There was a left road and a right road. And I thought, oh God, please don't let her take the same track as me. Let it be different. And I thought, one final burst from this pathetic 67-year-old body, and I'm going to pass this jogger. And I finally did. And I waited for her to pass me. And the building was looming up, and the pathway's going like that. And I'm praying. I brought out the Catholic in me. Oh, God, let it not be the same track as me. Oh, God, let it not be the same track as me. And I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And she went to the left. And then I, because I just saw out of my peripheral vision, and I shot to the right. When I got out of view from her, I collapsed. <laughs> I literally fell to the ground. Going, <gasps> about 10 asthma attacks all at once, glory to God. But why do I do that? Because I want to stay fit. I don't know why I'm talking about fitness. Not very spiritual, this really. My wife does the same. She does weight training and she does aerobics. She's almost 60. Glory to God. Yes, yeah, she mar I married a toy girl. <laughs> so what I'm saying, church, relevance. Your body takes the message. Look after your body. 
You can't, you can't look after your body if, you're, if they're driving a McDonald's every night, for God's sake, eating that junk. Put aside everything that holds you back. And I say to God, what do you think is holding me back from being relevant? And I ask God, and by the Spirit, He'll show me what I am doing that is preventing me from running a race. I want to run until I complete it. Paul said, I've finished my course. Everybody can start something, but not everybody finishes. There is an exhilaration of starting something, but God wants you to finish something. It's not enough to start. You must finish, which means you're going to have to navigate through all kinds of season changes and all kinds of pressures and conflict to finish your race. I went to an area and wanted to pioneer a church in Australia. I had probably about, at that stage, about 20 people in the church, which was double my number that I'd had about three weeks prior to that. Excuse me, I, I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not. And so what happened was I decided to rent some costumes of animals. And so in Australia, I rented a crocodile outfit and a koala outfit, koala bear, and some other outfits. And I dressed my main leaders that I had that time, 20 people, but about, I got about five or six leaders to dress up in these animal costumes in midsummer. And we took a little kid, one of their kids, with what we call, there's a candy there called an all-day candy, and it takes all day to suck it before it disappears. So we had a bag of these all-day suckers, we called them, and while the animal, we knock on the door, and the woman would open the door, and she's met by a koala bear. Hi, how you doing? Glory to God. What you doing? And, and we invited these children to, a, to the church, to children's church. And it was very powerful. We said, we'll pick him up. We'll, we'll hire a bus. We're going to pick him up. So we dressed the bus up, the commercial bus up with balloons and, and everything else. And we went back to the area on Sunday morning. And we picked all these kids up, put them in the car, put them in the bus, and we took them to our building. We went from almost nil children to about 50 to 60 children in one hit. And we put on more buses, and before we were trucking in over 100 children into our children's church, and we gave them a, a, they, we gave them a craft that they made for their parents, and we worked it out that the craft would take six weeks of coming back to the church to complete when they completed the craft, we sent an invitation out to the parents and the, the children publicly presented their mums and dads with the gift. And then I went down and prayed for all the parents and gave an altar call to see if they get saved. Some of them were saved. And before long, now we had children 
right? Say, Mum, I want to go back to that church. I want to go back to that church. And so now we had, we had the children bringing their parents to church. They were getting saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And within nine months, from about 10 people at the beginning, nine months, I was sitting around 350 to 400 people, and we gave birth to those numbers by the children we had. It's called strategy. If you are relevant, you have to believe God for strategy to connect with your relevancy. If you're going to run the race, if you're going to be relevant, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a strategy because of no good just existing as a church. You have to reach this, this town for Jesus. Every one of you in this house has a gift. Oh, yes, you have. You might not feel gifted, but God has given every person in this place a gift. It might not be a full-time ministry gift, but there are gifts that God has placed in you. So Paul said, don't let anything strip you of running the race. He said, look at verse 2, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus who is the leader and source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and is also bringing, also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are to run after our destiny. Not stroll, not walk, not run. If you want it, you have to run after it. Write this down tonight. Success is always intentional. Running is intentional, not accidental. If you're going to run your race, you have to have an intention. It doesn't come by accident. So what's it take to get into your season? What does it take to get into your destiny? Prayer alone can't bring you into your destiny. Prayer is necessary, but it's not all, all it's not everything. You need to pray and you need to pray a lot, but you must have an intention to run the race because everybody has an individual race that you are going to have to run. And I hope to speak to the spirit of man It's in this place today. I want to speak into your inner man and tell you that every person sitting in this house has a race to run. And I'm telling you to run your race because if everybody in here ran their race, the church would be a very powerful church in the community. What are you doing? I told you this would be a stirring, provocative time this trip with me, but what are you doing to reach the community? Are you just existing or are you running a race here? I don't want to be irrelevant. I always want to be relevant. The Bible says faith without works is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, but God wants action from us. He wants us to have works. The work of faith. The problem with running a race 
you also become vulnerable to attack. And none of us like conflict. If you like conflict, you're a masochist. I don't like conflict. I don't like being unpopular. I don't like people attacking me. The problem is when you're a man of God, you are vulnerable to everybody's dislike of you or everybody's like of you. Not everybody likes you. And I'm the kind of personality, my temperament, I'm a sanguine temperament. I'm like a golden retriever in the spirit. I'll lick you to death. Right? I'm just a, that kind of a friendly guy. And some people are not built that way. They're not wired that way. They couldn't care whether you like them or not. And I envy those people. But I do care. And so conflict for me with people, I don't enjoy conflict with people. I'd rather get on with people. But when you are running a race and you are intentional about running the race, you are going to meet conflict and you're going to meet envy and you're going to meet jealousy. And I'm talking about from the body of Christ because not everybody understands your assignment. If you were to put this in Texas terms, my mission in this church today, should I accept it? See, he's put out a new mission impossible. I can't wait to see it. But should I accept this mission? My mission in Texas terminology is to put a burr under your saddle. Is that Texas talk? You know what I mean by that, don't you? God wants to cause some movement. It's not enough now. You've been going long enough. It's not enough now to come in off a Sunday and just warm a pew. God wants more than your backside on a pew warming the pew. He wants you to start running a race. And I'm going to be sharing some things that, that, that in response to, if I had to listen to a preacher preach this kind of message, I'm going to tell you what my kind of response would be for this later on. My God, someone's popular in this house tonight. Hallelujah. How do we all last with, with just landlines? I thought landlines were better. I think I might go back to one and just, just throw cell phones out and have an answering machine. That's a lot better. Now, I want you to write this down, please, today. Quickly write this down. If you run after your destiny... You won't have to fight your history. If you run after your destiny, you won't have to fight your history because you won't have time for your history. And I think I shared this last time I was here, but regret always links you. Regret of your history always takes you back to your history. Regret is evil. There are two, two aspects about regret. There is a legitimate regret and there is an illegitimate regret. Legitimate regret is that if I was to stand on your toes and you got painful, I'd regret that I caused you pain. But I'm not going to go through my life regretting that I stood on your toes for the next 50 years because I will tell you, get a life. Regret, illegitimate regret, 
is regretting a failure or regretting something that happened to you in the past and you can't get past the failure to embrace your future. I want to give you a wake-up call. There is not one person in this house today, I say this without, with absolute confidence, there's not one person in this place that, that, that does not have a past that if you allowed yourself, you could have some deep regrets. Listen to this. Regrets always take you back, never forward. If God is wanting you to run a race, you have to die to regret. And you can say to me, you don't know what I did. I don't need to know what you did. If it's under the blood of Calvary, even God forgets it. If God forgets sin that you've done that's under the blood of Christ, why do you keep regurgitating it and allowing regret to keep taking you back to a history that if you keep holding on to that history, you'll never embrace the season change that God wants to take you to. The enemy uses regret to hogtie you and put you in a place of inactivity and have you focused on what you did or didn't do yesterday. We've all got history. Now, I've caused some people some, some anguish in my life. Yes, Preston, I have. We have all caused people some hell. But you can't keep vi- revisiting that scenario and, and, being, and grieving over situations that happened years ago. If this church is, I believe this church, God's calling and requiring it to take another level, to climb another level of effectiveness, to climb another level of relevancy, which means we're all going to have to be honest in this room tonight. Just, oh, that's that Australian guy. I don't know what he's talking about. I've been here for 24 years. I've seen more of America than probably most of you. America is the other woman in my life. I love the United States. I love it. But you're not liked by everybody, let me tell you. Thank God you've got Nigel that loves you. (laughs) King Hung Hu Kung, fat boy with a haircut. He doesn't like America, he hates America. Mr. Putin doesn't like him. There are a lot of countries that don't like you. And a lot of people don't like Mr. Trump. Please don't respond to that. (laughs) Glory to God. Oh, glory to God. So we have to be really honest with this. As I am when I get with prayer and when I'm bowing before God, I say, God, what must I do to change? Am I still relevant? I ask God this. Am I still relevant? Can I still be used at the age I'm at? But if I'm always going back to history, then I'm not relevant for the present. Write that down. If I'm always going back to history, I'm not relevant for the present. I've had some amazing things happen in my ministry. But if I'm going to stand up here and tell you all the amazing things that happened, that's past. That does not push you into your destiny. Neither does it help me to run mine. I learned with God when I got past 65, I learned this. If you are truly a man of God, there is no such thing as retirement. Because if you want to tell God you're going to retire, you can't see him to hand in your notice. 
So I just carry on till I drop, till I can't do this anymore. Boy, there is so much in my spirit concerning this place. I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm just gotta, I've just got to take it bit by bit. Write this down. Stop struggling with old ghosts. Stop struggling with old ghosts. I want us to turn to John chapter 10 to a familiar scripture today. John, sorry, John chapter 20. John 20. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance of the tomb. So she ran. Everybody say she ran. She didn't stumble. She didn't dawdle. She ran. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Upon this, Peter and the other disciple came out, and they went towards the tomb. And they came running. Everybody say, they came running. They came running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not enter. Then Simon Peter came up, following him, went into the tomb, saw the linen clothes lying there, but the burial napkin which had been around the head of Jesus, was not lying with the other linen cloths, but was still rolled up and wrapped around and around in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in too, and he saw and was convinced and believed. For yet they did not know or understand the statement of Scripture that he must rise again, from the dead. Then the disciples went back again to their homes or lodging places, but Mary remained outside the tomb sobbing. So here we find a story where everybody in this text was running after their season and running after their destiny. So here's the question I ask you tonight. How can we be a disciple Standing still. Everything about God, everything about the instructions that Christ had on earth was to go. Go ye, go ye, go ye, go ye, go ye into all the world. Starting off in Jerusalem and to the othermost parts, to Samaria and to the othermost parts. Go ye. We are waiting on God to somehow bring a chariot from heaven to tell us our ministry and to launch us forward. But God's already given us the command to go. You're already being given the command to go and run. You say, well, where do I, how do I know what to do? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? If it's not right, God will correct you. Hallelujah. 
I didn't have much to go on to come to America. I just had a feeling. But I knew it came from heaven. I knew that I was to come to the United States of America. And it literally changed my life. But up until I said that I would come, I had conflict, I had jealousy, I had envy, I had everybody fighting me, everybody trying to stop me from coming, but I felt the call strong enough. The call was so strong that it was almost like I was deaf to what they were saying. And that what really screwed me up was I was doing an Hispanic service at Heartland Steve Hill's church in Dallas. Dr. David Remedius was my interpreter. And I was laboring through this because how can you interpret me? Very difficult. And so I could see the doc. He's a cardio specialist and, and he's on some boards from elite churches in Louisiana. Sweet brother, I love doc. So Doc's, I could see Doc struggling. When I saw him struggling to interpret, now I'm struggling. He's from Puerto Rico. And so I'm, I'm struggling because I'm seeing him struggle. And then I tried to get formal so he would understand more what I was saying. And of course, that didn't go over either. So in the end, when it was all over, the relief, because by that time I was perspiring blood. And by the time I got out to the green room, the intercessor that was with Doc I think I was about 68 at this time. I get out to the, um, I get out to the green room and an intercessor that had been with Doc for 13 years, he's a pharmacist, a great guy, he pulls me aside and he said, listen, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'll be honest with you, since the age of about 65, I was thinking that my season had come to an end, that I needed to slow down, spend some family time, and just chill. I don't know what chilling what that means really, but it sounds good when other people tell me. I think, well, rest, but you can't rest for life. And so I was thinking maybe, and I thought, you know, there are other young guys, there's guys coming up that are young and full of fire and full of vim and vigor. I best to just step aside and allow them to take my mantle. Glory to God. And this guy said, he said, take no thought of your age. He didn't know me from Adam. He probably knew Adam better than he knew me. I never met him before. I never seen him before. He said, take no thought of your age and don't think of your health. He said, because basically what he told me, he said, I forget the actual terminology, he said, God's going to put you in a time, a time freeze. I thought, wow, I'm going to stay 67 for years. This is cool. But what he was meaning that, that, that I was going to be able to do something as any young person would, providing I would stay relevant. And then, then this is what screwed me up. He said, I see a major awakening. And he said, I see your face on the posters. When you give a prophetic like, word like that, you've got to give that usually to a 40-year-old. Not someone like me. And I thought to myself after it was all over, I'm never going to be able to leave this. I'm in this for life. There is no retirement for me. 
And that is another season to me. That is a season which I believe will happen. I believe one day I will be some church in some geographical location. There will be a suddenly come from heaven, because I've been in these before. A suddenly will come from heaven. All heaven will cut loose. There will be a mighty awakening, and I'll see that for before the day I die. I've been in churches through the 90s when the revival came and Kathy and I and the boys were involved in a massive move of God that literally captivated counties. And it was suddenly it came. Places packed out with people. You couldn't get them in with a crowbar. Only God can do that. You can't make that happen. Only God can bring back that, do that miracle. Pensacola was a miracle with Steve Hill. An absolute miracle. He had no intentions of staying there. His intention was they were on their way for a vocation to Disneyland with his family. And he did a favor for the pastor by doing a Father's Day Sunday morning. But then he was off to Disneyland. He never got to Disneyland. I suddenly came, and he was there for five years. A friend of mine in, in Lakeland, Florida, Stephen Strader, had a mighty move of God with Todd Bentley. And in nine months, something like 350,000 people came through. And, and he was at a place where... He was going to have to lay off all his staff financially, lay off all his staff, give up the building they were in, find something less to put his people in. Todd Bentley came in for three nights. The place exploded. A suddenly came. The whole ignited church, a pretty big church, the whole of Ignited Church started to fill up every day. They shifted it into a stadium. When I went down there, <clears throat> there was something like I was there three nights. There was this massive stadium, and it went from, from, from just his church to about 10,000 people a night. Then they took it outside to a, a, a stadium outside, and, and uh, Stephen Strader's wife got into the stadium, looked up on the stage, and there was an, uh, a, what she thought was a 50-foot angel standing on the stage, visible to her and her friends. Out of a suddenly. How do you know that you are not on the very verge of a suddenly? How do you know the next season for you is going to propel you into an area that if you gave it thought right now, it would, it, would, it would put you under, but propel you into a place that is beyond your capabilities. Because that's what God does when He gets you. He puts you in a place that's beyond your capabilities that you need God to pull it off when God sends us suddenly. Remember, I was, I was preaching one time in Houston at a cowboy church in a big tent 
in midsummer. Can you imagine preaching under canvas in midsummer? The place, just hundreds of cowboys, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds filled this big marquee tent. Just hundreds, and they were getting saved and getting bat. We baptized them in a horse trough, be outside in true cowboy fashion. In the you know, bang, boom, and they were getting. And and my, I go back to the hotel, and the leather in my shoes was saturated with perspiration. My shoes remained wet the whole time I was in that tent. What happened? A suddenly came. If God did a suddenly in the Book of Acts and has done a lot of suddenly since then. Don't you think he wants you to groom yourself and get yourself to a place of, 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 of appre not apprehension, but, but anticipation that he could do something in this church? Then start running. Start running. Don't be lazy. Go to prayer and say, God, what would you have me do in this area? Some of you might want to be, do evangelism with children. I tell you, you want to grow a church, evangelize the children. What are you doing with the homeless? What are you doing with the hungry? My wife and I support a, a Feed the Hungry program in Wichita, Kansas. When, when I Listen to this. This is what happens with God. If you are walking with God, this is what God can do. Kathy and I were, were visiting this particular church of this past. He's remained a, a very, very close friend since. But we, he had a food ministry, and it was the size of a garage, a large sort of garage. And he was feeding these poor people. And I visited. He said, come when we're feeding the hungry. And I came, and they were feeding the hungry. And my wife and I stood there in this man's ministry of this little place. And Kathy and I just openly, we couldn't control ourselves. We began to weep because of these people. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I, and I said, we have to do something. She said, yes, we do. And I said to the pastor, what do you need the most? He said, we need an extension on this warehouse. So we said, you've got it. And we put an extension on the warehouse. Now, years down the track, per year, they are feeding 70 thousand people a year in a huge beautiful brick facility miracle after miracle I told him I said you have he has a church of about 120 but I said you have the largest church in, in America you have 70,000 people in your church because unless you hear the gospel you can't eat in this place they pray for you. They, they've seen miracle after miracle. Salvations. What can your hand, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds, do it, and do it with all your might. 
If you don't know what to do, get on your knees and ask God, God, I want to run my race. Show me my race. Show me my course so I can run, so I can run, so I can run, so I can run, so I can run. Putting aside every encumbrance, putting aside that, that sin that easily besets us, but you've got to start running. The church has to corporately start running and start making plans, asking God for strategy. You need strategy. You need strategy. Hands up those who are finding this a bit provoking tonight. <laughs> Glory to God. So the woman went down to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, to add respect to their leader. But they didn't go down to the tomb expecting him to be not there. If they had believed that Jesus was going to be raised in three days like he said... They would have camped out at the tomb. So none of the apostles and none of the disciples believed Jesus when he said, I'll be raised in three days. So Mary goes down to pay respect. She came to the tomb because she loved the master. Even after his death. There are some friends who love fades when the condition changes. But there are a minority that remained impassioned even when it's painful. It's interesting about people because most people tell they love you when they want to benefit from you. I have a lot of acquaintances but very few friends. I know a lot of people in a lot of places. But there is only a handful that I hold close to my heart that know me warts and all and still love me. Know all my imperfections but still love me. So back to our story. So Mary says, uh, saw the tomb expecting it to be okay, found it to be in a mess, and the master was gone out of the tomb. So she runs to Peter and the other disciple. There are some things that will happen in life, some circumstances authored by God that will make you run and shake you out of your apathy. So Mary comes to Peter, the other disciple, and she ran down to the last sighting of Jesus. And this is a very significant point because the problem with religion is it always seems to be satisfied where Jesus was, but not where he is. You can be satisfied where he was, and you can write books on where he was, and you can talk about where he was, and I find people that talk about where he was have no idea where he is. Where is he in your life? If all you can talk about is your salvation, that's where he was. But where is he now? Where is he now for the church? What's the strategy now to reach Abilene for Christ? Where are you? 
We love to be around where he used to be, talking about the memories of where he used to be, talking about the good old days. But if you run after your destiny, you will automatically distance yourself from your history. If you run to what's in front of you, you will escape what's behind you. Stop try spending time trying to fix what's behind you. And the Bible says they started running towards the tomb. You might have started late, but start running. You might have messed up, but start running. You might have wasted 50 years of your life, but start running now. Don't let your past dictate to you. And I want to speak to the young people here. You have the ability to run. But you're not too focused. You have the energy to run, but you get distracted easy. But you need to start running now while your mind is sharp and you have energy. Start running your, in your teens and by the time you get to 30, 40, 50, you'll be flying. God wants us to run until we can fly. Somebody say fly. fly. So the Bible says in the third verse of John 20, they ran together. They ran together. You can't hang with me if you can't run with me. Have you ever taken the wrong person to the right place? I don't want to mix with people that are not part of my destiny because I can't afford to be hindered by someone that doesn't understand the call on my life. You can't be hindered by people that don't have an understanding or an honor of where you're at with God. And I think it's amazing when God, when we first get saved, what is the first thing that God does when we first get saved? Many times, He, he takes friends from you. I had to lose a whole bunch of no hope of friends. Like the Garth Brooks song, I got friends in lowly places. When I had some friends in lowly places, but when I got saved, Jesus got rid of all my friends in lowly places and replaced them with people in higher places. But it's the same with destiny. You can't run with people that won't run. You can't be hogtied with someone that's a millstone. They might love Jesus. They might be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they don't run. They won't run. You've got to run. Run the race. Not walk it, not dawdle it, not stumble through it. Run your race. And everybody has a race. Everybody has a course. I sense people here have the call of God on your life and you've been wondering, what am I going to do with this? But you'll have to come back tomorrow night to get that information. 
And see, I, I give no one any excuse. The old people can't argue with me because I'll slap you and then after your grandmother. And then the young people can't argue because I outrun most of them. That puts me in a great position. Hallelujah. Now, Preston forgets the story, but I haven't forgotten. We're in a church of about 700 people, six, 700. And one, one of my delights is when your pastor comes to join me in a church that I'm in somewhere. He just comes periodically. And the next church he's coming to is Baytown, Texas. And just Preston and I, he's, he, we just come and hang together and chill out. And, and, but he was in this church, Mark Wallace. This is when you were by yourself. And I said to people, I said, I'll pray for everybody in this church tonight. So when you're praying for about six, six to 700 people, that's a lot of people. How long ago was that, Preston? Do you remember that? I know you went with Ash up that way, but, huh? About six years? Glory to God. And I'm praying for people. I said, come on, guys, give me a hand. And I'm praying for people. Glory to God, moving down the prayer line. People going out in the power of God like this, and we're going like this. And I looked around, and here's Preston and the pastor sitting on the stage. They were pooped. <laughs> Hallelujah. Absolutely wiped. I said, I turned around because he forgets this. I said, what is wrong with you? They're like this. <laughs> you don't. He doesn't jog. Can you give me five more minutes? Five? I don't want to leave you at the precipice and not push you in. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. The Bible says, how can even two walk together save they agree? If you're with somebody that doesn't want to run and you want to run and you want to navigate through the different seasons of your life and you've got somebody totally disobedient, saved but disobedient, what are you doing? You can't agree with that. Why are you running with, trying to run with that? If you're running after college young people, you can't run with someone who's running after drugs. Careful who you run with. And I'm talking to young ladies here. Careful who you date. Careful who you marry. Here's a word from God. Don't marry a dropkick. A dropkick is a loser. Oh, you poor demented church. In fact, a great way is to not date at all and believe that God give you a man because the more you date, you set yourself up for a divorce easily. Dating prolifically is practicing the divorce later on in life. You can believe God. But marry somebody that's got the call of God. If you've got the call of God on your life, you get with somebody that's got the call of God on their life. Don't let some guy just, you know, like, baby, I'm a want you. 
Baby, I'm going to need you. You don't need any of that stuff. I had one pastor, I, I sang that last, I sang that in Nashville last week. Baby, I'm old. And the guy, the pastor wrote to me and he said, who sings that? <laughs> Glory to God. And I told him so he could YouTube it. Hallelujah. Okay, pastors are very deep sometimes. So deep that they're drowning. So now, we know Peter, he's the rock. But who was the other disciple? He's not even named, worthy of mention, but not named. Not even his function. And what I love about this, the other disciple, who incidentally is only 17 years old, Peter was 40, his ministry lasted 20 years, and he died at 60. So I think I'm doing pretty good. So if you're going to run with somebody, listen to this, if you're going to run with somebody, run with somebody who's got more than you. Because if you run with somebody that's got more with you, it's going to make you stretch more and obtain more. I'm almost at the end. The Bible says they ran together. This is what I love about the story. John the young man, 17 years old, he outruns Peter, who is the oldest man, older of the two. He outruns Peter, but he never went into the tomb. He did not disrespect his elders. Neither did he disrespect his spiritual father. He got there first, but he waited at the entrance until the spiritual father arrived. The father went in first, and then John went in next. I believe in this last awakening that God's going to bring us into is going to be an awakening where father and son will run together. Heart to heart, mind to mind, spirit to spirit, and they're going to run. The Bible says, they shall mount up with wings as on eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. There is a running orchestrated by the Holy Ghost that will not weary you. It will not weary you. Could somebody remove this, whatever this is? I want everybody to stand tonight, please. Everybody stand tonight. This is what we're going to do tonight. I have two functions in the body of Christ. I am a runner. And I herald the good news. And the good news that I have with you today, that if you will answer the challenge of what I've been preaching on, and we've only got two more nights, remember, 
Some of you are saying, what a relief. Glory to God. Two more nights. And tomorrow night's going to be even more challenging. And the night after that's going to even be more challenging. The last night going to be really challenging. But I'm going to give you some strategies. I'm going to give you some ways to make what I'm saying happen. And I believe God's called me here, and I'm not calling myself an apostle, but I believe God's called me here to make a shift apostolically, to shift some things out of the way. People say, what's your ministry? I am whatever you want me to be. Even Jesus said, who do they say that I am? We are so, we are so spaced out on titles in this country. But even Jesus, the Son of God, said, who do they say I am? So I want to pray for runners tonight. You might be running now, but this message has spoken to you tonight. If it has spoken to you tonight, I want this runner to lay hands on other runners. And I want the honor of praying for you and imparting into you. I am a carrier. I don't say that arrogantly. I am a carrier of the glory of God. I carry something in my spirit. Otherwise, I shouldn't be here. Your pastor is a carrier. He carries things in the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, he shouldn't be here. So hands up those that this message spoke to you tonight. Just raise your hands. It spoke to you tonight. Hands down. Hands up those who are a little bit scared of your next season, a bit apprehensive. Anybody apprehensive about your next season? Hallelujah. All right. I, for those of you tonight, those runners, I want you to step out. We're going to make one single line down here. Then I'm going to lay hands on you tonight. If someone could get me some fresh water, that would be also good. So come out. Come out. I want to pray. I could pray for everybody, but I want to pray for runners tonight. Thank you. I want to pray for runners tonight. You don't know what your next season is, but you want to trust God with your next season because there's another season coming. It's on the horizon. Father, I pray for these people that have come out tonight. Father, let your glory touch them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray for the expansion of this church. I pray for the expansion of its function in the community. I pray that you fill it to capacity and then have to add and build Glory to God. I pray for supernatural growth. In spite of what books will tell you, no man can build a church. No man can add to a church. They can build structure, but only God can add. We have to go to the God of increase and say, God, add to this church. Lay hands on the seat in prayer meetings and say, God, Put a hind end on that chair in the name of Jesus.
what is ahead of you will not look like this. It's going to look totally different. Glory to God. Right now, God is doing some shifting of the furniture. You know, when you've been in a house, my wife is forever shifting furniture and, and, shift, and, and changing the garden. One time I was, I was in the, just in the house and I saw trees flying everywhere. And she, she was just ripping out trees. I mean, she's only short, but she's ripping out trees. And I said, what are you doing? I got used to those trees. She said, we need change. And I'm going to be honest with you. Changing is difficult for me. But if I want to embrace everything that God's got, I've got to make the change. But what's happening here right now in the Spirit, the, God's shifting things. And He's shifting things in your life. He's shifting people. He's shifting paradigms. He's shifting perceptions. I could come in here and float in as an evangelist, have everybody swinging it from the chandeliers. But I'm here to bring a shift. So what you need to do when you come tomorrow, be early. I know this will shock everything that's in you. But at least get here on time. And could, could, rather than talk, could you start to pray and just ask God, God, do something. Because I've got another whammy to hit you tomorrow night with. This is only the first day. There's two more nights to go now. And shifting is never pleasant. If you've been in a house a long time and you sell it and you go into another house, what's that feel like? What's it feel like to throw all your memories into the back of a truck and take them to another location? Well, you're going to have to get all your perceptions of the previous season. But instead of putting them back in the truck, you're going to have to take them to the trash, you know, throw them in the trash. These are new days. New days for Champion Church. New days. New days. New days. New days. Without a vision... But the originals, without a vision, people wander aimlessly in the way. You're, God never called you to wander aimlessly. He called you to run the race. There are plenty of Christians in churches that aimlessly wander from day to day in and day out. But God's called you to run the race that is set before you. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.